Ignition running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Y'all, I'm tired. I, it is, you can turn the music down. I, I am tired. I sat on the front porch last night until sometime after midnight watching the hurricane blow through. It picked up steam this morning, and then I just couldn't sleep last night. I was convinced the trees were going to fall on the house. They didn't. Um, I'm exhausted. Uh, nonetheless, then I did multiple hours of radio today, mostly focused on uh, the hurricane. It did very little of anything else. Um, before I do anything else... I want to talk about 9-11, the 9-11, 16 years ago, 9-11. When I was in law school, I had a professor, Adam Milani. He's since passed away. Adam Milani told told the story about how he became a professor. He had been a lawyer in Oklahoma City on the day the Murrah Federal Building was bombed by Timothy McVeigh. He had friends from his law firm who were in the building as the explosion happened. He knew the judge. He knew people in the clerk's office. He was friends with them. And he was supposed to be at a deposition in his law office as a lawyer from out of town had come in. And there were people from his office unaccounted for. People from his office who had been killed, whose bodies had not yet been found, whose bodies were probably still bleeding. And the lawyer from out of town insisted that they do the deposition because he had flown in from out of town. He didn't care about all that. He he was there for a deposition. He didn't want to be there, but he came anyway. They had to have the deposition. And Adam Milani told our class that was the moment he knew he didn't want to be a lawyer. He didn't want to work with people like that the rest of his life. He didn't want to deal with people like that the rest of his life. He'd rather uh, go teach law students how not to be like that. That was in 1998, I guess. Fast forward to 2001, I'm a lawyer. And I go to work that morning. My wife texts me, have I seen the news? A plane has flown into one of the towers. So we have a a room where they keep all the property files, all the the title searches that have been done. And we... um, I go in, and as I'm sitting there watching the news, I'm watching Good Morning America. And the second plane hits, and the second plane turns to do maximum damage. And the whole world changed. The whole world changed. I rushed out of there and told the secretary who was next to the office, I said, you need to tell everybody to come in here. There's been an attack. And she couldn't understand it. I said, a plane has flown into the World Trade Center a terrorist has attacked the World Trade Center and she couldn't process it. She couldn't understand it, but she texted people started coming in. People had already gotten the news and we watched and we went back and forth all day and I had a deposition at one o'clock. My boss's daughter worked for the New York City Election Commission at the time and uh, people forget that was election day in New York City to replace Rudy Giuliani, I believe. Yeah, to replace Rudy at the time. Uh, maybe he was running for re-election, but I, th- I think it was uh, when Bloomberg was coming in. And uh, the election was postponed. My boss did not know where his daughter was at first. 
And here comes this lawyer demanding we do a deposition, didn't want to postpone it. It was a case that had been going on forever. None of us were affected by that. And I just thought, good Lord, history repeats itself in some small way. I don't want to be like this the rest of my life. Now, I practiced law, as did Adam Milani for several more years. I, I practiced law until 2006, never happy, never really wanting to do it. And that was really the day that I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer for the rest of my life. I, I didn't want to wind up like that. And so I didn't. Instead, I wound up being a miserable blogger and uh, talk show host. <laughs> In any event, uh, I, I remember that. And it's so surreal, is it not? I, I know the, the demographics of those of you who listen. And it is so surreal to have kids now who weren't alive. It was such a monumental thing for us. And they don't really understand it. They, they can't process it. Uh, at least... They're more innocent. Reminds me, I was I was in the theater with Gunner, uh, my eight-year-old. I took him to see Spider-Man Homecoming, and there's that scene where Spider-Man's friend is uh, in the library. He, he's the man at the computer as Spider-Man's on the mission, and it's prom, and the teacher comes in and says, Ned, why are you here? And he's um, uh, looking at porn, and everybody in the theater laughed except my eight-year-old. He said, what is that? that why is that funny? And I leaned over and said, it means he was on the internet looking at naked people. And he's gross. Why would anybody want to do that? <laughs> and I just, I thought, God bless you. I just, just God bless you. And you know, the last, the last three words of the, of Spider-Man Homecoming were what the, and the F word. And they cut it right as the F was being formed by Marissa Tomei. So you knew it was something bad. Everybody starts laughing and Gunnar just looks at me and says, I don't even know what word she's about to say, but I know it had to be bad because I don't know it. <laughs> I just say youthful innocence is something I, I did not want to go. And on, on radio today, you know, I'm, I'm recording this special because I, we really have done nothing but weather today on WSB and I just I didn't want to go without spending a little time on 9-11. Now I need to get into some of the other news because I have gotten more hate mail for something I did today than anything I have done this year which is actually surprising considering the things I've done this year but I literally have been inundated with hate mail and hate tweets all day for one thing and some of you um, are probably some of the ones angry at me, and that is because I endorsed Roy Moore for the U.S. Senate. And it yes, it was a lot of establishment folks who were upset, but it's mostly angry liberals who thought I was reasonable. And, I mean, they are living. We thought you were different. How dare you? You've sold out. You're trying to get in good Trump's good graces. No, Trump, Trump supports the other guy. Strange. Luther Strange. The reason I'm supporting Roy Moore is because we have an opportunity to move that seat to the right. Listen, I know who Roy Moore is. I know what we're getting with Roy Moore. I'm not naive on the fact that he's an opportunist. I know that. I'm not naive on what Roy Moore is, who Roy Moore is. But Roy Moore will stand up to the establishment, and he will be someone who can get reelected from the state of Alabama. He is a, one of those conservatives that we actually get. Listen, the— there are lots of things I disagree with Roy Moore on, including birtherism, which I think is nonsense. When I was the editor of Red State, we banned birthers from Red State. But I think that the establishment Republican Party right now, particularly Mitch McConnell's Republicans in the Senate, they need to be shaken and stirred. Absolutely, positively, they need to. 
And given the situation with the Senate and the fact Roy Moore can win this election and will be a disruptive force within the Republican Party, I think it's a good thing. I've got to tell you, for the first time in my life, I am more and more thinking that we do need a third party. And I've long resisted calls for a third party because I don't really think that they're viable. I don't really think that um, they're they're feasible long term, but I'm beginning to think that if you could get uh, just take take the black and Hispanic Southern Baptist ministers who rallied for the resolution on race at the Southern Baptist Convention this summer, let them form a third party. It would be more fiscally liberal than I like, but it would be as fiscally conservative as I like. And I got to tell you, all of the data out there, I know the Beltway crowd, particularly in the Republican Party. And again, this is why I think Roy Moore is useful because he disrupts this. I know they believe that the data shows they need to be more fiscally and socially liberal to get elected, but talk like they're conservatives. And that's not true. The data actually shows the Republican brand is badly. And I'm talking Pew. I'm talking Gallup. The Republican brand it may be permanently damaged with minorities. It may be permanently damaged with black and Hispanic voters. But they are socially conservative. They are the least likely to embrace transgenderism. They are the least likely to embrace same-sex marriage. And the Republican Party is selling out on those issues as well. You got Republicans in the Senate who won't allow transgenders in the military. Uh, They are not, however, fiscally conservative. They believe the government needs a helping hand. I personally think that Republicans need to go back to the Calvin Coolidge message that the role of government is to ensure a level playing field. And I do believe that the role of government is to ensure a level playing field. Big business is not your friend. Big business is not conservative. And if we we could do something like that, we could have a winning coalition without the anger from Donald Trump. I'm just tired of people being angry. I'm angry that people are so angry on both sides. There's no need for it. I mean, look at Harvey and Irma. No, not the couple who who were married and are over 100 years old and named named after the storm. The storms are named after them, I guess you could say. No, um, Harvey and or Irma, the storms. People helping people, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Republican, Democrat, gay, straight. It didn't matter. They were helping each other. And I I firmly believe that is the image of America we should go back to, we should nurture, we should foster, we should have. But it doesn't seem like we're going back there anytime. I think it was David Harsanyi at The Federalist today had a piece on how um, 9-11-2001 may have been the last time we were united as a nation. It's been all downhill from there. And uh, to a large degree, I guess it has, and that's unfortunate. Um, But more and more, I I think we're going to get more and more of this, which is disappointing. I got to tell you guys, uh, by the way, um, it, it, speaking of all this division, uh, the hate against Christians in this country right now, USA Today has a story out that, well, I, I guess uh, those damn Christians, they're, they're causing more problems. <laughs> I'm sorry, that'll offend some of you. It wasn't my point. Uh, my point was just cracking a little joke that maybe only I find funny. Um, Christian charitable relief agencies have helped more than other nonprofits. They have engaged with FEMA and the federal government at a rate higher than the other nonprofits. By the way, did you hear about the Red Cross? I've been deeply critical of the Red Cross in Florida. In Miami, the Red Cross did not show up to run 
the shelters that the Red Cross promised, putting a strain on uh, Miami uh, government officials, particularly their school officials, who had to keep people in the evacuation zone to run the shelters, people who intended to evacuate because the Red Cross didn't show up. Yet again, another failure by the Red Cross. And you won't hear about it from the media. Apple and other Fortune 500 companies will demand people still give them money. They're not a good agency to give money to. Samaritan's Purse, the North American Mission Board, the Southern Baptist Convention, the Salvation Army, religious nonprofits really are the way to go. In fact, according to the USA Today report, Samaritan's Purse, Salvation Army, the North American Mission Board, and the the Seventh-day Adventist charitable group, I forget their name, they've been on the ground. They beat the federal government to the ground on Harvey. It looks like the North American Mission Board in particular and Salvation Army are beating the federal government on the ground in Irma. Uh, Samaritan's Purse is on its way. Red Cross is nowhere to be found. These other sectarian or secular nonprofits, nowhere to be found. And the crazy thing about it is that you've got these religious organizations helping FEMA when FEMA will not help them. In a secular world, that doesn't happen. But in a world where you will one day be called to account, it does. And they're perfectly fine with it. But the left won't take notice. The secular world won't take notice. As far as they're concerned, the Salvation Army, Samaritan Spurs, and North American Mission Board workers should be in kitchens somewhere baking bigoted cakes for gay weddings. FEMA will not help churches rebuild. Anybody who is in a disaster area who has suffers catastrophic damage to their property can get FEMA's help, but churches can't. Now, I got a question on whether or not that, that Missouri case from last year that was um, 7-2, to two, even with, um, with uh, Kagan and Breyer siding with the majority, uh, it was the, the retread school tires and the Lutheran school uh, preschool case. I, I got a question whether or not that might impact FEMA in the future. Because this isn't a sectarian purpose per se. It's to help uh, one organization rebuild a building just as every other organization is being helped. But FEMA won't help them. Nonetheless, the churches are helping FEMA. But of course, Christians are terrible, icky, bigoted people who believe in an imaginary sky god. Amazing what that imaginary sky god gets them to do. But rarely will you hear about this stuff in the media. And still, they will help. They will hammer nails, they will rebuild houses, they will help rebuild lives, and they will do their best to restore souls. Now, switching gears before I get out of here this evening, I want to go back to the Bannon interview. I've got questions on whether or not he'll be able to pull off what he wants to pull off. And, and the biggest question I have is, is well, looking at Paul Ryan. You know, Breitbart, uh, they rallied talk radio guys. I think Sean Hannity came out for Paul Ryan's opponent uh Breitbart went to bat for Paul Ryan's opponent uh Bannon went to bat for Paul Ryan's opponent Paul Ryan won handily they're trying to beat him again and I don't think they're gonna be able to beat him again and so I look at that and I wonder if if they can be effective if they will be effective and I'm I'm not sure they will be I'm not sure but a buddy of mine, by the way, sent me a picture from that interview last night. I thought it was ridiculous. Bannon wearing a, a button-down black shirt over a polo with a black jacket. I mean, the whole thing was was insane. Uh, I don't understand people who are that monochromatic uh, in, in their wardrobe. I, I don't. Um, you know, a lot of people say I'm black and white in my views, and to some degree I am, but not in my wardrobe. Good Lord. Um, in any event, I don't know that they will be effective. I don't know that he will be effective. And I, I got to tell you, you know, 
I am a guy who spent a lot of time finding conservative challengers to establishment uh, members and to some degree was very successful. In fact, in Georgia, by and large, uh, all but I think three people I've ever supported, and I'm getting close to two dozen candidates at the state and local level, all got elected. But it's not something I I put on a a motto. It's not something I wear on my sleeve. It's not something I talk about because I'm mindful that I'm one voice of many. And what I see happening, and, you know, I see this with with, um, other, well, I'm not going to go, I won't go with the name. She's kind of crazy. But I, I see this with other people who take credit for the work of others, who take credit for the work of the community, who take credit for the work of activists, saying, oh, I did it, I did it. I'm the reason this person got elected. I never believe that I'm the reason someone got elected. And the reason I say that is because every person who gets elected has uh, many thousands of votes. And in most cases, there are people I can't vote for because of where I live. So I didn't get that person elected. Other people did. But I, I like to think I helped catapult them into the arena of ideas. Part of my book, by the way, you can pre-order my book if you want to text wake, the word wake, W-A-K-E, to the number 444-999. Um, I am a strong believer in the idea of catapulting ideas and people into the arena for you guys to consider. And the reason I do this, and I'll, I'll close out the show with this. In 2006, December 2006, I've talked about this before, my wife given six months to live. When your spouse is is given a death sentence, when you're in the position, I was in the position, I had to tell her she was dying. There was a wreck in the emergency room. The doctors had to go. So I, I had to be the one to tell her. When when your spouse is dying, you talk about things you're never otherwise going to talk about. You're not going to talk about what happens after if there's no death sentence. You're not going to have to talk about should you remarry. You're not going to have to talk about how to raise the kids. And you're probably not going to have the, the sincere talk about how... You see each other's roles in your lives. And Christy and I had to have that talk. She was given six months to live. Luckily, it was a misdiagnosis. But we still had that conversation before we knew. And one of the things she said is that she always viewed me as being a catapult for ideas and people, not myself, but for others, to throw them into the arena, to the battle of ideas, to... to highlight for you guys those people we're supporting those ideas worth getting behind beyond the cult of personality uh the the ideas that should lead to governance and good policy and i've always tried to do that and and i don't take credit when they are seized upon i don't take credit when you embrace them because you're embracing them i'm just putting them out there i'm an advocate for them but you're the ones who seize upon them and run with them so when I see other people uh, try to claim credit and say, I'm the guy who beat the, I'm the guy who did this, I'm the one who, no, that makes you too big and others too small. This is still a democratic process. I don't believe my influence is that large. 
Uh, it relies on others. And so when I see others doing that, it just rubs me the wrong way. It does. It's all ego. And I know we're in a world of self-promotion, but I just, I don't like it. Um, that's one reason I want to do this resurgent conference recon. Um, although today I learned, uh, Charlie, my producer says, you know, you don't want to go to the, the recon.com. It's apparently a gay porn website. Uh, <laughs> he may need to rethink the name, but nonetheless, um, that's why I want to do this conference is because I want to get back to highlighting ideas beyond the cult of personality. When both sides are us versus them and our guy versus their guy, they're all sinners. It's the ideas that get us a better country, not, not the individuals. Although we do need good individuals who advocate those ideas, but I'm tired of rallying around individuals who fail and disappoint. I want to work on the ideas, which is why I want to advance recon and, and hopefully we can get this agenda off the ground in any event. That's all I got for you guys this evening. I hope you have a very good night or day, wherever you are, depending on where you get this. If you are in Irma, when you hear this, uh, stay dry, stay inside. If you're out of Irma, well, thank your lucky stars. Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.